Dirt with Dermot Gavin and Paul Smith, a Go Loud original. Aideen, you were just talking about podcasts you listen to and I've just started listening to. My therapist ghosted me. With Vogue Williams and Joanna McNally. No, she's not. She's Joanne. She actually goes mental when people say Joanna instead of Joanne. Her name is Joanne McNally. It's, it's very good. It's very good. It Have you heard of Paul? Very no. funny. I sorted out my compass heaps the other day while listening to it and I found myself laughing out loud. Why can't we be like that? Uh, well, um, it's to do with... Uh, He's never heard of it. Yeah, you've never heard well, of it. You are spoofing there. Yeah, I, I have no idea. <laughs> they talk kind of drinking, shagging and living in London and Holt. Yeah, but there's not much about gardening in any of that, is there? None. But it's very entertaining comp- uh, compost. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It is, no, it is. It's fierce funny. So, Dermot, who's, who's Vogue and who's Joanne in this relationship here? I want to be... Well, actually, in case they, they're fans of dirt, I think they're both great. And I think we could be either. Who's posher, though? I think Paul is posher, so maybe Paul is Vogue. How can he be posher? You're always going on about how he's landed gentry and... Multiple properties, none of which I own. <laughs> but no, I'm posher. Okay, okay, so you're Vogue and Paul is... Jo- well, no, because I'm posher than Vogue. You can't be Joanne. Joanne drinks like a fish. You don't drink at all. Oh, is it a bit like Ab Fab? No. Oh. Uh. Maybe they need some horticultural advice. We should uh, we should give them a shout out and see if they'll they're do a not re- they're kind of roof garden and plastic plants. They're kind of yeah, but I think there's something in that. You know, us being guests as the horticultural advisor to every podcast, every podcast out there in existence could do with a horticultural advice. I'm sure, or you know, horticulture. Okay, my favorite podcast is called The Daily. It's from the New York Times, and it looks at the news of the day, which yesterday they did a, an episode on Britney Spears. So, discounting that one, they take serious episodes of generally. But the Britney American... Spears story is very serious. Oh, I know it is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not an entertainment story. No, I know. Yeah, I know. It's about conservatorship and how that's gone wrong, and uh, she is. Ter- well, a very good example of how things go wrong. Why don't we do that um, and go on to the daily and talk about dirt? Offer ourselves as gardeners and gardeners to... Oh, speaking of gardeners, uh, my gardening works better out of the garden or out of the car. I've discovered this. Uh, when I was away on holidays last week, I repatriated... Oh, no, I can't say this. <laughs> You're not allowed to smuggle plants. Just tell us where the cacti ended up. The cacti ended up in a pot in a conservatory, and they are doing far better in a round pot altogether than they did in the car rolling around, not getting water or attention or love. Well, that kind of would do. But well, they came back from the dead. I mean, the cactus looked as if they had, you know, croaked it, and all of a sudden they were back to life. But that kind of would do, because who wants to be. There's no plant species that I know of that really has adapted to being on the move. Uh, spiders do it quite well. I know they're not plants and that's probably a fatal flaw but I've got a good habitat <laughs> of spiders in the car and as far as biodiversity But they're goes, not plants! What? Yeah. Uh, oh right. 
they're great at moving around and the car is so people. Right, yeah. But they don't drive. <laughs> no, they have drivers. They do. Uh, they do. And they've, they've adapted. So they're at the stage where we want to be out with cars that drive us. Yeah, they're quite clever, aren't they? It's very. Yeah. <laughs> this is Dirt, Dermot and Paul. Dirt, a Go Loud original. Dermot. Yeah. What is the most difficult garden you have ever designed? The most challenging one I've ever designed is my own garden, I suppose. Coming to it well, as... Probably one, I'm sure there's other challenging ones, but yeah. in terms of the one that just stumped you the most. I take my own one, because it took me years to come up for with a plan for, you know, what I wanted to do, what we wanted to do. The challenge was... You know, buying a new build on an estate in a kind of a different country because I was living in England at the time, bought a house in County Wicklow and being a remote gardener because I worked away. I lived, we moved back to Wicklow, but generally I was working somewhere else in the world. So just, it was wrapped up in guilt. And what, how did you get your head around it? What did you do? Did you look at the garden for years and years and sit down one Sunday morning and have a eureka moment? Or what was it that eventually made you realise what you have to do? First of all, there were practicalities. And the big practicality for me and for many other people, I think, was budget. Because I was so broke after buying this house. I bought a house that I couldn't afford. So broke with all sorts of dreams. And then also finding out the soil was really bad, was not great for growing. So I couldn't just come along and stick things in that I wanted to grow. Most of us as gardeners have gardens because we love plants and there are types of plants that we want to grow. I have expensive tastes because I'm used to working with maybe plants that are a little bit rare or unusual and I'm used to working with bigger specimens I wanted that idea of not the instant garden I wanted a garden to grow but I wanted to start off with something that looked great so my solution was not to do anything for a few years and just live with the plot we also had a little one so the little one and her mates whether they live next door or whether they came to visit wanted grass. They just wanted to roll around on grass. They wanted trampolines. They wanted swings. So there was a bit of an excuse. However, if you're in the gardening trade, your garden becomes a dumping ground for every other garden that you're doing. And it can be a dumping ground for awful stuff like rubble that you just try out of the van or plants that are left over or stuff that you've used on other gardens. So the I last have... house I rented uh, in the UK, I got a letter from the landlord. <laughs> the, when they first heard a gardener was moving into this village, they thought, oh, fantastic, you know, he's going to improve the aesthetic and this is going to be lovely. And then uh, about a year in, I got a letter saying, could you please eventually mow the lawn, take away that pile of rubble that you keep throwing over the public road into your own garden and just bloody tidy the place up because it's a tip. <laughs> And I did. I mowed the lawn once in my tenancy. I know, it's the cobbler's <laughs> shoes. Isn't it? it was yeah. kind of worse for me, Paul, because the first thing that happened was the estate agent called by and said, 
Dermot, we can't sell anymore. Your your garden is such a tip. We cannot sell <laughs> anymore houses here because your garden just looks so awful. It's giving the road a very bad name. And then one of the newspapers, or two of the newspapers, I think the Sunday Times and the Daily Mail did an expose. How can this... It did. Full page. How can this man tell us what to do with our garden? Look at his plot. It's a tip. <laughs> and they went to the hill behind the garden and took photographs then. And uh, I, I ended up having a meeting with the editor of a, of a newspaper because it, they went on private land to uh, take the photograph, which I didn't think was very fair. And it took me a long time to decide what I wanted to do and what was practical to do. And with me, of course, I wanted to practice what I preach. The relationship between house and garden was very important to me. So I wanted to increase flow to do that. I wanted to open up the back of the house. So any intervention I was going to make on this plot would involve messing with the architecture of the house, opening that up, having really good flow. And of course, the way I want to live is with plants at every level. So I wanted to frame views out, but I wanted to be able to open any room at the back of the house and walk onto a garden, whether that was at ground level or first floor. So it took ages to really understand what I wanted to do when I understood that I wanted to create this veranda. What would I make it from? And then to find the appropriate materials. So, you know, you're talking four or five years even to come up with a plan. And, like, what you did was in a brand new build house, okay, you developed the garden, but you've also redeveloped the back of the house, which is something that a lot of people wouldn't dream of touching. So you smashed out the windows and you made little tiny windows with the whole thing of you had a great view out the back and there was no way of enjoying it. Uh, and you created this huge veranda at the back of the house. Yes, yeah, so it was big architectural intervention. It was huge intervention in a way. And the challenge with that is we do live out in the country, but on an estate, uh, lots of neighbours around us, and we're going to do something with our house that nobody else has done, nobody else has seen done, and every, you know, lots of people think is well, that's very strange. And any intervention, if you're doing something architecturally, is going to look stark for a number of different years. Um, I, I found these cast iron columns in a salvage yard. I brought the authorities with me because if the authorities didn't agree to that, it, it, it was never going to happen. Explain w the term authorities. You, I'd rather not because <laughs> I might get in trouble with the authorities. Um, but once they were in, then I really began to develop the plan. I knew having a, you know, a veranda, a double height veranda, would give me opportunity to um, to clothe the garden and to grow climbing plants and to frame those views. What it does more than anything, it does a few things. Do you like so, it? Yeah. Um, I like the way that you yeah, can... Kind of. No, no, there, I, there's definitely bits of it that I don't like. And the thing, well, and the thing that everyone always says is, eh, it doesn't allow a lot of light into the back of the house, which it doesn't. But it's also not an aspect where it would get a lot of light in the first place. But what it does give you is a completely new outdoor space. So in the months when it's anywhere nice, from probably, you know, March through to October time, you can sit out in that veranda very happily. You've got heater, so you can sit out even on a cooler day or a cooler night. And you can have a barbecue when it is absolutely 
can I say pissing rain? Yeah. All yeah. Right. All right, yeah. So when it's absolutely pissing rain, you can sit out there, have a barbecue, have a few drinks and totally be like, ah, I'm outside in Ireland and I'm inside. This is very clever. This is hilarious. And the other thing it does is it gives you a platform and a viewing platform to see the whole garden from. And you can see lots of different angles. It's not just one platform. You can walk around the whole L shape of the house and see it from all these different But it vistas. also allows you be with the plants because that holbolia growing up is it's just wonderful because I've, these yeah, it's railings. clad, I guess. In it's yeah. it's clad. So you're almost clad in plants when you're out there. I completely disagree about the amount of light because remember we had tiny windows, bad design, tiny windows at the back of the house where the big views are. So we knocked out small windows and we replaced everything with with glass. Wouldn't work with every house, but this house just had those things. And when I saw the house initially, I knew that would be the kickoff point for the garden. Cool. And so what happened then? You you got a terrace. So then we terraced it because it was a sloping garden. We put uh, I, I put three terraces in and I made all the mistakes. I got dreadful contractors in. Somebody I worked with um, a, a lot and I was away working and they just covered everything in sand and tons of cement and you know, compacted everything. It was, um, we were working towards a deadline of a First Holy Communion and everything looked great. They rolled out grass on ill-prepared soil, smeared with um, uh, sand. So it looked great initially to kick off with, but then um, we we paid the price afterwards, uh, I'm afraid. So I didn't get the soil right because I just assumed leaving people in charge that it would be fine. And, you know, then we made a garden and it's been true. Uh, well, you kind of you kind of do the opposite of what you normally do in terms of your day job was very often go in, uh, transform a garden, do the whole lot in one big swoop and you leave one day and the garden is done and complete. Whereas you chomped away at the bit and you did it little bit by little bit and you did one section and then you went away for two years and you came back and you're still at it. Still improving the soil and still planting and still changing. I, and still learning about gardening and still learning about our obligations in terms of the environment. So all of that has an effect. At this stage now, in the last couple of years, I've done things like take out all the lawns. Indeed, latterly, you've helped me do that. But really, it is, it's time for big change now. The garden is packed with plants. There's about 60-odd trees in a relatively small plot, kind maybe about half a Too many, really, isn't there? Too many. Yeah. Too many, yeah. Which is fine. It's a, it's a good principle in which to start. You know, I do know about design, and I do know about aspect, and I do know what I wanted various parts of the garden, each terrace to do. I did make the decision uh, year by year to take out terraces of lawn and replace them with planting because I didn't have enough. And also, also when a lawn isn't looked after, a garden can look very untidy. I just wanted more plants and I wanted not to feel that guilt. So I can look down on the jungle now and just be amazed at the plants and not see where the weeds are or not recognise the dog poo, which is hidden behind something or so. So the garden always looks okay, but it needs a big edit. And autumn is a really good time to make decisions, make your list. Do you want to hear my list? 
you've a list. I, d- I do, because I went to cafe before we came for the podcast. So, projects. Photograph everything, first of all, before everything dies down. I'm going to photograph so I know what is growing everywhere. Because if we get some frost, and it's getting colder, you know, day by day, if we get some frost, all of a sudden, leaves will be stripped. Herbaceous plants will return down to the soil, and I'll try and remember what was that. Photograph everything just now. Improve the soil. So that's been a constant for me for the last couple of years, bringing in uh, bags of enrich from mulch, um, mulching everything, bringing in well-rotted farmyard manure and making my own compost, and that's gone very well. Sort out the hen situation, of a dreadful hen situation, where I've three hens, one that lays, so I want to get two more hens. Um, edit the trees. I'm going to take out... Why are you grinning when you said it? When well, I said it? With the hens, because I gave you two crows for Christmas. <laughs> and it's a, it's a long-running joke. <laughs> that these two crows are just, uh, what are they? They're just taking everything from you. They're living there rent-free. They're not producing any eggs. And they do look like two black crows. They're very funny. They're totally feral. And it's only now, a year later, they're beginning to They're become. a kind of constant source of worry because they don't go in to the coop because the Arlene wouldn't let them in. And there's foxes around. But how they survive, but they do survive. Want to take out things like the artichoke. You know that artichoke that is unsupported and when it's beginning to look great, it's so tall, when it gets to three metres, it begins to fall over. Take out some things like buddleias, move the dixonias, uh, move the, uh, that lovely uh, magnolia that Helen Dillon gave me, the Leonard Messel. We were looking at photographs of that yesterday for the book. It's not going to do well there. It's kind of getting a little bit one-sided, so I want to move that down the garden. I'll do that this autumn, this winter. I want to edit the boundary planting. Lots of gristolinias planted by the developer originally. They've done their job now. They give privacy and whatever. But I want to either whip them out or make them more interesting or use that space to, you know, uh, uh, shift one of the trees to. I want to rescue any plants being swamped. You know that lovely oak that I have? Yeah, yeah. It's an oak called Carl Ferris Miller and it's really cool. Really big leaf. Really big, but kind of cartoon oak. Yeah, yeah. Like it's exaggerated ridiculously so and it has brilliant autumn autumn foliage and colour. It goes like butter yellow right now, actually. And it's getting eaten by a miscanthus. So I I really need to... Miscanthus is a posh name for grass for anyone wondering. For a type of grass, yeah. (laughs) I want to plan for good winter pruning. And Paul, I said good winter pruning for things like the wisterias on the Solanum jasminoides, which has just taken over this year. There's an old saying. Uh, no, says, no, I don't want to hear this saying. Uh, well, let let's, your, hear, Aideen, let's cut through this crap now. What he's going to say. I want to hear the saying. Well, it's two sayings. And the first is. If you're asked to do a job, do it badly, so you won't be asked uh, to do it again. Well, and I learned both this of in these, college. Both of these. <laughs> I'm not messing. It was in HR. <laughs> Sorry. What? I get Paul to do my pruning on the veranda because he does have some skills. And I have climbing roses and I have wisterias and I have a few other things going up the cast iron pillars. And the last few years, he's done a rotten job on them. This 
past year. I haven't done a rotten too. job. He's just a contrary customer. You know those customers you have that you can never please? You see them walk into the shop and you go, oh, here we go. And every year we have this conversation, will you prune that? Like, oh, here we go. Uh, you know. Uh, and what it is, there's an old saying that says, let your worst enemy prune your roses. And he asks me every year. So that is a damning <laughs> indictment or... I'm so easily pleased. It's not, I don't know. It's I'm, not been fair. I just need a good job uh, done on them. So also, <laughs> plan yeah. for my good winter pruning. I want to open up views. I'm closing down the garden. So when you're under the veranda downstairs, you walk out, you can't see any views. Because with my enthusiasm for, for, for planting, I need to create an area, some sort of structure for to protect I can't put a polytunnel in my garden, but I need a greenhouse of some sorts, but not one of those greenhouses that everybody has, obviously. Because uh, I want to move my things things like bananas and I want to have aeoniums that I can move in. I thought your latest theory was that you shouldn't grow plants that aren't hardy here and that anyone who grows plants that aren't hardy in this country are fools. You're taking that to an extreme. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'd like to misquote you where possible. Um, you were on a rant and you were just complained about how you shouldn't grow anything unless they want to grow continue. here. <laughs> Permission yes, to speak? <laughs> uh, he's, he's just buttoning in. And I don't mind if he's buttoning in with something constructive. Make a list of what I really want to grow. So there are still some things. My garden is crammed with plants and either left over or... or but make that list of what I really, really want to grow. I want to take out a cabana, so of a structure that I designed for a furniture company. It just doesn't fit in the garden and it's so annoying me. So I want to take that out. I want to plan new pathways. I want to install garden lighting because that enhances the, the whole setup. And why haven't I got it? I want to install an irrigation system. I abandoned the garden three months ago when we were planning the festival and I had loads of pots and they just didn't do as well as they could do. So I want an invisible irrigation system for the garden, but mainly the terrace that's midway down the garden so I don't have those issues. I want to plumb the bath and that's it. The bath, which is out in the veranda. So that's my plan for gardening this winter. Yeah, so uh, I guess from a, a take-home point of view, from somebody who, who hasn't a clue, who has never gardened or who gardens very, very little, um, what what will they take from that? I mean, the first thing they'll take is you don't have to design your garden in one fell swoop and have it looking amazing on day one. And that's important. And, you know. And often, if the newspapers aren't after you, it's better not to do that. It's better to understand organically. Do all those things that we always talk about. Understand your soil, understand aspect. Okay, so that's number one. Understand soil, understand aspect. And don't be afraid to change and edit and bite the bullet. And make, what is it, make notes? Uh, how would you... The camera is fantastic. The, 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 you know, digital cameras are, are great and having those folders that all your photographs go into because you can just pick a time of the year and look at your garden. At, you know. So take loads of images, make videos, understand what you have, but you have to reignite the passion. You know, same with any relationship. You have to reignite it, look at it again and get excited by the plot again and understand that gardens aren't... This is why we love gardens. They're not stationary. They change multiple times during the day because of light, because of animals and creatures that are in... They change from season to season, but they also change from year to year. 
So always keep that editing thing in mind. The great thing that time does allow, and this certainly happened with my garden and your garden now, because you, your garden is also maturing nicely, the trees have grown, the shrubs have grown, and you can make your decisions. And... For anyone listening and going, what do you mean? Uh, but, you know, it is possible to, sometimes you have to cut down a tree, but very often it's possible to move a plant, to move a tree, to move a shrub, to move something. We're coming into a great time of year. As Dermot was saying earlier, you know, nothing is growing now. Everything has stopped growing. Plants are going into dormancy if they're deciduous. So it's actually a perfect time to move a plant from one position to another. If it's not too big, you have to, you know, be sensible. If something is too big to carry or to lift with one or maybe two people, then it's probably too big to move. But if you can lift it on your own, and you can dig it out on your own no reason why you can't at least attempt to move it and we'll talk a bit more about that maybe when it's more appropriate at the other side of Christmas but uh, yeah absolutely no reason why you can't edit you can't change plants around every plant that is in a place can be moved be brave if you don't like something even if it's been there forever I mean I always go back to Helen Dillon who's the doyen of gardeners in in these islands and she had the most amazing Cornus controversa which is a variegated wedding tree of a tree or shrub grows in layers and it was so beautiful and she thought it got too common she thought too many people had it now she had the best specimen and she just whipped it out and people were aghast it was her garden and it's amazing what people gets people gets people going people were aghast at this but do it if you're not enjoying it yeah and no one's going to stop you the authorities maybe Dirt with Derma Gavin and Paul Smith, a Go Loud original. Okay, Dermot. It's all very well you talking about growing bananas and putting invisible irrigation systems in. I didn't oh, mention bananas, did you I? Did, you, you mentioned did. bananas, you did, did I? You did, yep. yeah. Did I? Yeah, and uh-huh. Aomies or whatever. Aoniums. Oh, close enough. <laughs> they sound like a tic tac or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it sounds like a growth on your. Leg or something. I don't want to know about it. Anyway, <laughs> moving swiftly on. That's all very well if you have... I know you're talking about editing your garden, but your garden is fabulous, right? Most people don't have a fabulous garden. Well, isn't that funny that you say that? Because I don't think my garden is fabulous at all. So I know you want us to move on to practical advice. But I think my garden is an abject failure. I go down the end of the garden... And I hate it so much because it lacks definition. I love the individual things growing in it, but it's not telling the story I want to tell. Yeah, but Dermot, you're not a basic bitch. I am. And I want to know, like, what do I need to do for my garden next year? Go and plant your bulbs. Yeah, so, like, if you've got nothing and you want a gorgeous garden next year, what do you need to be doing now? I love that basic bitch. I am, though. That I was am. Kate Moss, wasn't it? On, yeah. On the BA flight. Yeah. <laughs> the Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> she could have been talking about Paul. You know what? I think all you basic bitches out there <laughs> should do one thing, and that's go to a garden centre. And go to a garden centre a few times. We've probably said this before. Over the course of the next couple of weeks. It's a bit basic. It's very basic. But... Go there and see what's actually looking really good. See what's got brilliant oh, don't do that. No, see what's no, got. Don't do that. What? Do do that. No, no, 
make a plan. It's, no, it's no, 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 no. Nobody makes plans. This every every garden in Ireland was designed on the back of a cigarette packet, minus a couple that yourself and a few others have designed. So there's no point being that you know. I'll make a plan. No, you're going to go to the garden centre. You're going to go for a coffee with somebody, and you'll end up with five or six plants, and you go, "Why in the name of anything did I buy these?" But I have, and now I'm stuck here. And what do I do? So go and buy something that looks good and that you like there and then because, let's face it, unless you like it, there's no point don't growing it. Like you Do like that. it because you've seen the picture or you've seen don't, it in flower now? You've seen it in flower, okay. you've seen the colour of the leaf, you've seen the berries on it, you've seen whatever, the stem, whatever it is you like about it. It's been sold don't well do to you. Plan your visit to the garden centre and plan on buying something. Plan... Well, just, what if you don't know? What if you don't know what you what you should? Well, do? you might know that you love autumn color, and you might okay. know that you're absolutely enchanted by the leaf change, the uh, an oriental maple. So plan on going and buying an oriental maple. Do your homework in your garden beforehand. Are you on the coast? Are you in Ballinskellig? Is it windswept where an oriental maple just isn't going to grow? Plan. Go to the garden centre, uh, garden centre with the best coffee if you're interested in coffee. What's the garden centre with the best coffee? I know. I, I thought ours. you. I was about to say, is this a plug for your own one? I think, <laughs> I think it is going to be ours, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So come, have, uh. come to our garden shop in Monkstown, and and do your homework on Oriental maples or any other tree, liquid ambers and all that, that are going to have the most brilliant autumn colour. Don't go in and buy a tray of violas and a tray of sweet million because they're in flower at the moment. Yeah, but let's be honest, that's exactly what you're going to do. And you're going to come out with a tray of violas that are looking brilliant and you'll be like, what do I do with them? If you get it, something like that, the best thing to do is get a few pots. Um, I think if you're unsure about what you're growing in the garden, pots is a great way to start off growing anything. A brand new build, a new house, new lawn, a bit daunting, don't know what to do. Start growing stuff in pots. If you can keep a few pots alive, you can then begin to understand how stuff grows and begin to move out into the garden in the next year or two. Because you have that whole thing of us saying, oh, you know, look at the garden for a year, get used to your plot, do all of that. And while that's happening, a few pots are always great. You got a tree from us and you put it into a pot because you weren't sure what to do with it. So I think that's a, bit, a good bit of advice. Go put something into a pot. Buy some bulbs. Put the bulbs into the pot as well. On top of that pot of bulbs, put a couple of violas to give you flowers over the winter. And that'll give you just something to keep yourself interested until spring. Yeah, it's a nice little... We all love projects. And it's a nice little... It's like the banana bread. It's a nice little project to do at this time of the year. The other thing is... Don't eat them, though. Uh, (laughs) Daffodil bulbs used to be sold in supermarkets. Don't eat them. Yeah, they used to put them with onions in the veg section and they had to stop doing that because people were mistaking daffodils for onion bulbs. Uh, um, Can and you eat daffs? No, they're deadly poisonous. <laughs> they're, uh, they're not deadly poisonous, but they also have, they have a few things in them, one of them being this alkaloid, which is called galanthamine, which is actually used in the treatment of Alzheimer's, believe it or not. So know your yeah. onions. Yeah, and not, don't know your daff- or do know your daffodils too, because if you eat them... The other thing that I Sorry. would definitely do at this time of the year, especially if your garden is a little bit more established, the leaves are going to be coming down now. There may be your neighbour's leaves uh, that are going to drive you, ups, drive you Controversial. Crazy. Uh, but gather them up and compost them. Make your own compost heap. Just put them in a pile. They'll rot down and they'll now, produce. 
for people who don't have compost heaps, uh, get a black bin liner. That's all you need. And that's all you need. You fill the black bin liner to the brim. You tie the top. You can throw a bit of water in. If it's a bit dry, it won't be dry. It's Ireland and it's October. Chuck it in a corner of the garden that you don't see or it behind the shed, somewhere like that. And in a year's time, you open that bag and you will have the most amazing compost that you've made for free. Uh, it yeah. will be a little bit slimy and whatever if it's in a black plastic bag that doesn't allow for the exchange. If you pierce a couple of holes in the bag yeah. as you put it in there, just don't have it sealed up tight, but have a few little holes for air and you'll be amazed at what you can make out of it. Would you not, would there not be like rats and stuff opening the bag on you? It's only leaves and rats have no interest in leaves. They might scuffle in around them a little bit, but there's okay. no food. So not so food from your compost bin? No, just... no, no. God, no. Only, okay. only, only leaves. Okay. Nothing else. No rubbish, no anything. Just the leaves that are falling. And in the well, next few weeks, the leaves yeah, are going to fall heavy. It isn't necessarily just leaves because there's lots of other growth that's dying back, isn't there? From the herb- herbaceous perennials and... Yeah, but this is the stuff that we're calling coal leaf or we want to make coal leaf, leaf mould. And if you put all those other things in, they take ages to break down. Leaves tend to break down just that bit quicker. So just put leaves if you want to make this magic compost in a year. And if you if you don't have any borders, we'll say, or any soil part of you, like if your garden is still all lawn, should you prep that now? Like, can you dig it up or, or will you just plant the bulbs in and just... What are you prepping it for? don't know just to put lots of plants in to eventually see a bit of colour no this is you see this is where you need a plan if you're a passionate plants person and you're only interested in the individual plants that might be a way to go but most people need to get used to their plot and develop a plan rather than sticking plants in okay what do you think Paul yeah the other thing is this time of year it's kind of used to be the time that we said dig your soil and leave it over winter but things have changed Aileen is always looking for the holy grail isn't she yeah I am looking for it to, like it's very interesting when you were talking about how you did nothing with the plot for a few years and then all of it well not all of a sudden it was it obviously took time but then you had this gorgeous wraparound balcony with those iron balustrades and like when did that inspiration hit you or were you thinking about it the whole time and it slowly grew in your mind. Yeah, I think I'll do that. Yeah, I think I'll do that. So I started off with a principle, open up the back of the house and increase the flow between indoor and out and allow myself to grow plants outside and put the bath outside and live a different way to everybody else because that's naturally the way I think. Bring the climbers up to us. So the principle was fairly early on. How to achieve it and how to find the materials where the, and how to save up for it were the things that took the time to uh, to create it. I found I can achieve all these things in gardens. So inside my house is an absolute tip um, and I can never, I can't change a light bulb. But with the gardens, once I found those cast iron pillars which had been made in 1895 in Bristol uh, in, a, in a foundry there, once I found them, I knew immediately what I wanted to do and everything else kicked in because the principle of the garden is just terracing and creating a few different spaces from a sloping site. Okay. That's very obvious in my plot. So do you, would you suggest to somebody who just has a blank canvas to go on Pinterest and just keep looking at things until they see something yeah. they like? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, take inspiration. There's two things. Be inspired and get to know your plot. Walk before you can run. We've said this the first day we came in here for to do a podcast and we started talking about soil and aspect. It's the same thing. Just get to know your plot. Yeah. And definitely be inspired. But if you can take a bit of advice, because 
uh, I'll often walk into a place and someone will have hundreds of Pinterest pictures and you'll be like, yeah, they're all great, but that'll only flower for a week of the year. And, you know, that while it looks brilliant on a Pinterest photo, reality sometimes is a bit more harsh and you will have to be just told, great idea, great idea, absolutely no, never going to work, brilliant idea, maybe, you know, and just get that advice then that you can go forward and know what you're going to have. And I guess it has you have to be realistic about it. Your garden isn't going to look amazing all the year round. But if you do it that way, at least you should have it. For somebody in your Looking position, okay. Aideen, I think you have to also think practically because your garden is going to be a playpen for certainly kids, maybe animals. and So you just need space. And you may as well get a couple of trees established or the climbers up. But don't worry about it too much. And maybe you can get the little sprogs interested in growing fruit and veg early and you know, get the principles of gardening right and not be using any of the nitrates or uh, phosphates or anything like that. Garden as organically as possible. But don't feel guilty about having very little and really enjoy what you do. So that little tree, uh, just enjoy it. R- r- you know, and think simply, as time goes on, when they don't want the trampoline anymore, when these things, when the swing is less important, then you can take it over. But if you are working towards the tree that you put down, that climbing rose up against the back of the house that is really beginning to establish, you know, then you have a framework to uh, to help you work and, and work against. I agree. I have one last question for you. In terms of actually designing a space to be outdoors in next year which so I'm not just talking about the plants I'm talking about maybe eating and drinking outside yeah. Yeah. what kind of trends are there that you know you could kind of be working towards installing in the garden next year porcelain tiles outdoor rugs decking 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 is still a thing it, yeah. uh, decking is coming back with. I yeah. thought decking didn't work in Ireland because you know the moss made it and the wet made it all slippy uh, de- decking would never decking has never changed it's where people use it that uh, you know some places it's appropriate some places it isn't We're and doing. the material is the big thing and using the correct material the material that most people made their decks out of was a softwood sometimes it was treated you got maybe 15-20 years out of that if you were lucky if it was treated properly but yeah, a lot of people you might have didn't. got that out of it but also during the winter it could turn into an ice rink yeah yeah totally it mightn't be good air circulation or it mightn't be in an open sunny position all these things are important so only putting a deck where you should have a, a, a deck a place that it isn't decks are wonderful in the appropriate places and there are piles of places in this country that they do work it's just they were cheap um, they were the, the material was cheap because it was a pine generally that was used and, and quick they were really fast to install because the, the foundations weren't a big thing you could build them just over voids so they were very popular and with television programs such as Grand Force people saw that Tommy and Alan and Charlie could um, you know create spaces in two days so that's what gave Dex a bad name and there's also now the composite materials which uh, they're not really well they are they're made out of plastic but they're made out of bamboo Uh, they're made out of like 70% bamboo and the rest is plastic so they're still you know not the worst thing in the world and they have a lifespan that is at the moment, indefinite. Uh, you know, time will tell how they'll cope against fading and all these different things. But there the used material, to be a, a big problem with composite decking that ultra ultraviolet light would f- make the colours fade. And but whatever. I think they've got around that now. So yeah, yeah, it should be. 
And uh, how do you dress a shed so it doesn't look as ugly? Do you put creepers on it or how do you, you know, plant around it to make it look? Yeah, I would say chicken wire. Keep it really simple. Chicken wire and creepers. Chicken wire to give a grip just in case um, you want something like um, honeysuckle that isn't self-clinging. Um, if you want something really fast, polygonum, mile a minute, Russian vine. It'll cover it in a year or two. Uh, <laughs> goes a little bit. What, what, what was that now? Mile a minute, it's called. Mile a minute. Russian yeah. vine. I wouldn't plant that unless you don't like your neighbours. Uh, well, <laughs> that's not untrue, or that's not fair. Uh, it is a very, very fast-growing plant, and be careful what you wish for. People often want, I want a fast-growing hedge. They plant the Lilandi hedges. We're now talking about them 50 years later still. So just because a plant grows really fast doesn't mean it's always the very best. Uh, I planted a new Solanum glasnevin, which is the potato vine uh, climber thing that Dermot has in his veranda. I planted it in my garden this year, and it's amazing in one year how much growth it's put on. That's a good one, and it's not as tuggish. And it will tie into the chicken wire. I thought you didn't like that because of, you've never really liked mine. So why did you plant it? I never said I didn't like it. I, I got the distinct impression you didn't like it. Maybe because you had to prune it. Or you made me prune it again this yeah. spring and we had it. Yeah, that's all. Did you say thuggish? Yes. Yes. Lots of plants are thuggish. Oh. By nature. They just want to take over. They're the Conor McGregor's of the garden. Uh-huh. Thuggish. And a few of them get on this list called the invasive list, the invasive species, where they become kind of threats to our native plants and often plants that were introduced for ornamental purposes turn into these things that are bad, like Japanese knotweed, which you see oh, yeah. on the side of the road. That was a plant brought in for people to look pretty in the garden. Oh, and now so, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit of a bad one. So that's a yeah. tug. <laughs> OK, so to recap, do a bit of research, yes. go to the garden centre, uh-huh. watch your watch the garden, You figure out the aspect can you take soil to the garden centre? Will they sort of analyse no. that? No? No, they'll pretend to or they'll give you a fast analysis and just tell you that it's a heavy soil or it's a light sandy soil. You, so you can get some information. But generally, institutions like Botanic Gardens are very good for analysing soil and some of them will uh, provide a service where they will look at uh, samples of soil taken from various parts of your garden and tell you what it's rich in, what it's poor in. Okay, so, but if you're like a listener in Ballasadare in Sligo, like, how do you figure out what soil you have? Uh, asking your neighbours. Yeah, I wouldn't say Finding a good you need to go and get your soil tested. You'll see what's growing locally and that's a great one too. See what's growing around locally and you'll know from what's growing there what you can grow in your garden. That's generally a good tip. If your neighbours can grow it, chances are you can too. And if it's been sold in a local garden centre and... Now, that does vary a lot. You know, 10 miles away, the soil could be totally different. But generally, stuff in that area will do well there because they know that it can be sold and it can be grown in places like Ballasadere. And the local gardening club is probably, (laughs) you know, the font of local brilliant information, bringing in speakers who are inspiring, but also letting, you know, sitting down with people um, who live a few roads away from you oh, I would never think of doing that do you just google gardening society or yeah. gardening club really yeah. oh that's very interesting that's a good tip yeah okay so and then in terms of getting stuff into the ground now when does it is it a to... good tip Paul yeah is it a bit kind of uh, Jerusalem and um, sponge cakey or is it a good tip 
No, I think if you're interested in it, um, maybe not for a total and utter newbie. Jaman Jerusalem, is that the I've never heard that phrase before. It's kind of Women's Institute. Okay. Across the water. Oh, right, okay. Well, I mean, I like sponge cake, so that's Mm. all good with me. Sponge cake. (laughs) (laughs) This is Dirt with Dermot and Paul. Dirt, a Go Loud original. So, Paul, your garden is, is is very different to mine, and that's what I kind of love, especially on the nightly broadcasts uh, that we do over Instagram. Seeing what you do, seeing your style of garden, which is all about the plant, and then secondly, combinations, and thirdly, the context in which it's in. Yeah, so the garden that I garden uh, predominantly is the one that I grew up in, in Carlo, in my parents' house. And it's a country house, a country garden, new build house built in the kind of mid 90s um, and a really cool site. So it's elevated up in the hills of Carlow and looking over to the Barrow Valley and very conveniently, it's right beside a little country church. And it's a perfect vista from the back door of the house. You can see the church and where I have predominantly planted the garden is in an area that looks onto this. And when I started, I guess I wasn't really thinking about it. But as the garden developed, I realised that the church in the background of this garden was just idyllic and using the concept of a borrowed view. So in in a way, it's contrary to everything I've just said. You're saying actually the house is a little bit borrowed, but the context and design has been all important. Uh? <laughs> well, if you're talking about borrowed landscapes and using phrases like that, you're talking about being aware of the picture that you're painting. Yeah, but at first, I don't think I was aware of that. And when I went out there, I went out with a spade as a student. The area that I... What age were you? Uh, I suppose it started about eight or nine years ago. So whatever that, do the maths. Uh, <laughs> just as I really went to college. So... After I left school, I went to college in Waterford to study. And after going there, you begin to meet people interested in gardening. You do your work placements and all of those things combined, you all of a sudden accumulate plants. And what I did was different people were giving me plants. I was working for people locally in the area doing gardens and I was accumulating plants at a rate of not. And I was um, a rate of knots. I was then propagating these plants. I had a little polytunnel and I was getting interested in how to grow them. If we just roll back a little bit, this was the house where you grew up. Did you have parents who were interested in the garden? Uh, Interested in vegetable gardening, I suppose. And that was their predominant thing and they were spending time growing fruit and veg. So how would you describe the style of the garden when you began to do your planting? There was some heathers, there was some hebes, there was some conifers, there was some... It was kind of, you know, they what went... What expect? Yeah, they went to a garden centre in the late 90s and they got a load of plants and they planted them and they put down a membrane and a couple of bits of gravel and the garden was left to do its own thing because uh, I guess they had a young family and, you know, the garden was fine. They did plant eight or nine lovely silver birch trees uh, just as you drive into the house and they're a great kind of framing thing and they give shelter because it's a very exposed garden and then in the middle of the garden there was a weeping willow tree that was planted about 20 years ago and from that I sort of 
developed and built this garden. So we used to play football. Well, I didn't play football so much, but my brothers played football and I sometimes uh, played football. And then when they began to get over that, I started to dig up the garden where they used to have their goalposts. And I put in a couple of plants and then I started to think, oh, I could dig this a bit more. And then I realised that digging was actually good for you and good fun. So I dug a lot more of the garden. And then one day when I realised from all of my exploits in college and from various things, I had far too many plants and I didn't know what to do with them. I decided to dig up the whole garden. So one day I went out and I got the whole garden dug up in, well, a couple of days. And I eventually convinced my dad to take one of his uh, tractors or digger and dig it up. This is with the idea of having a collection of plants, not an overall style. No, no, I just was interested in growing plants, learning about how to grow them how they were growing and then growing them together. And I guess how they worked in combination with each other began to become important because at first you just plant things together and then you realise, oh, that looks good or that doesn't look good and that does very well and that just doesn't like it here. And all the time collecting new plants and buying plants and just thinking, oh, how would these work together? And paint a picture for us about the type of plants you were using. Were they the right plants in terms of context? Uh, Were they the type of plants, architectural plants that I use with big broad foliage leaves and not a lot of colour other than green? Uh, No, they were totally different. So quintessential cottage garden plants. So lots of plants that grow up in one season and then they die back down to the ground, but they come up the following year. So So pretty romantic pictures. Yeah, lots of colour, a couple of roses, but lots of plants that give you loads and loads of colour throughout the whole growing season. different pops of colour. I wasn't really interested in grow, putting colour in colour combinations. I was more, I just want to grow plants. So it was all things like phloxes and lupins and geraniums and all of the foxgloves and delphiniums and hollyhocks. All of the kind of classic plants that you would get in a cottage garden. And in the background, there was this lovely cut stone granite church that just framed it all beautifully and it looked really well. So, Where did you get obsessed by various species or, or did you like everything and you were just learning? Everything. I didn't have anything. I just wanted to try to grow everything. I wanted to try this. I wanted to try that. I wanted to see, could I grow these plants? Uh, I found out nine times out of ten you could that very few plants didn't grow or didn't want to grow in the garden and that's quite good and I guess that gives you a boost if you're like oh well that's easy enough so I'll do that again. So yeah I just kept trying and trying and trying and then a point came where I realised I had far too many plants. I had to put them in the ground. Wait, can I ask one more question about this, about how you planted? When did the idea of combinations of plants, so putting one plant of a certain colour when it was in flower against another, when did that really kick in? It didn't. <laughs> uh, it didn't. I began to realise what they did. So at first I was given plants... You know, very typically, if you move into a house or you have a gardening friend, they'll come round to your house with a plastic bag or a fertiliser bag and they'll dump a big lump of soil with these roots in it and they'll say, here you go, that's a great plant for your garden. Mm. Always be cautious when people do that because if they're giving you it, they have too much of it. And quite often it's one of these tugs or one of these plants that takes over. So that happened a few times and I had no idea what these things were. And then you'd figure out that, oh, that's a phlox plant and that grows to nearly a metre and a half tall in one season. And that's a phlox plant that only grows to half a metre tall because it's a dwarf one and that's whatever. So it was all learning what they were bit by bit and then realising, oh, that works there. And then this whole thing that you were talking about, chopping and changing, as 
plants developed and as things happened I went oh that doesn't work there that's not going to do there that's far too tall that's far too small and then I tweaked it and moved things about And did the whole gardening thing become obsessive? Yeah yeah, I think so. I mean, I kind of guessed it or knew at that point I was pretty hooked on it and knew that it was something that I wanted to do and I was beginning to pursue it in terms of a career and I was looking at researching different things and yeah, it was all escalating. So the garden was just tipping along as kind of a side hobby as something I was doing while all these other things were happening and I was going to college and I was meeting new people and having all these experiences and eventually getting offered a job in the UK and deciding, oh, it's time that I move over there and realising, shit, I have hundreds of plants in pots and I need to get rid of them. So that was the point when I went out and I dug up the garden in its entirety and I designed a series of pots and I put in a pond and I put in a few things that I always wanted to do. I planted the garden really, really heavily. I mulched it with lots and lots of bark mulch and compost. Oh, so this is This is really interesting. So your motivation for... A design evolving from this passion, from this plant collecting, from this learning was that you were leaving and you needed to make some sense of what you were leaving behind. Uh, yeah, and I needed to not kill all of these lots and lots of plants that they become, you know, you're looking after them and you're the last thing you want to do now is after all that, just let them die. Because as a gardener, the last thing you hate, hate seeing plants dying. So I just had to keep them alive and I had to think, right, need to put them in, need to make sense of this, need to make it something that's not just a patch of lawn that's been dug up, put in a few paths and make sense of it all and plant more and plant it and then leave. And then on your visits back, you began to realise, God, this is a really lovely garden. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I did was I planted it so densely. So when we talk about planting plants in a square metre, you might plant maybe two, three, uh, sometimes up to five or six plants a square metre, depending on how big they are. I was doing that and more because I had lots of plants, number one, and I just wanted to get rid of them and I wanted to put them in the ground and I wanted them to have a chance. And the only way to do that was to make sure that they had a place in the ground and they weren't in pots anymore. So I overplanted. I planted far too heavily. I planted in the knowledge that some of the things that I was putting in, I was never going to see again because they were going to die for one reason or another. And that was partly as I knew that, partly as I hope this one lives and I hope this one doesn't. And it's always the one you don't want to live that does and vice versa. And yeah, I just put in a big heavy mulch because I knew I wasn't going to be around. So got bark mulch and bark mulch is good. A uh, nice couple of inches on top of the ground that stopped all the weeds coming up number one in year one and it also kept in the moisture because it's quite a dry soil and it's good to try and retain moisture in a soil like that and I realised after going away and coming back the one thing the bark blew around a lot in the wind and it's a very windy site so that just happens so the paths that had lovely gravel on them soon got covered over with bark but that was easy to rake off and the weeds really didn't come through and it gave the plants an opportunity to establish. So for that first season or two, there was very little in terms of weed, even though I was only there every six months I came back. And when I was back for a couple of weeks, I would weed the garden. I'd look after it for a day and then I'd go off and do other things because when you're back only for a few days, you've got people to catch up with and you don't want to spend all your time in the garden. And the garden was left to its own devices and it has slowly matured and developed. And it wasn't until 2020 that I really got back into it again. And that was 2015. Coming so. into, so it's um, really your garden matures a lot faster than my garden because my garden is still based on trees and shrubs and big ferns and uh, and whatever. Yeah. It will take some time before it gets there. It's certainly on its way. Your garden, because it's softer stuff, has matured. What does 
this autumn have in store for you? What decisions are you about to make? Or are you? Well, one thing I've learned about my garden is, I've said it already, it's very dry. And now there's a lot of plants in there. And at first, when you have a plant in a bit of room, that's not too much of a problem. The plant can find water. But now that it's so crammed full of plants, I'm beginning to realise things are struggling and I need to maybe thin out a few plants. I need to go back and mulch again. I've mulched once since all that time. Uh, previous, I mulched originally with bark mulch and I then mulched again about three years later. And this is another year I think I have to mulch because the ground gets depleted. The plants get hungry because lots of plants grow in a small space. They compete for nutrients. They compete for water. So, you know, they get a bit tired. And I want to try to keep on top of it and the weeding because this year it's been so busy, haven't really got a chance to go out and weed it and the paths were inaccessible for a couple of months and it became a bit of a chore to keep it all uh, looking good. So it looks good for the early parts of the summer and then as the summer progresses it sort of loses its vitality and it kind of gets a bit dry, dries out, doesn't look so great and this time of the year it's kind of gone past its best, particularly as haven't been around in 2020 that year we were there a bit more so I was able to tweak it and had a bit more time to look after it as it was growing through the season. So yeah, small tweaks. Are you aware that the world of gardening is catching up with the way that you garden? Less intervention is better results. Clashing colours? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the clashing colour thing it's one of these divisive things. Some people think, oh my God, you can never put yellow with purple or you can't do this, that and the other. And some people don't care. And I guess more and more people are of the opinion, oh, why does it matter? You know, it really isn't, really isn't important. And yeah, less intervention is really on trend and people do not want to have to go out into a garden, number one. And they've been advised not to go out into a garden because the less you do, the better in terms of looking after the ecosystem and the balance of nature in your garden. And yeah, leaving your garden. I left the garden every year. I used to come home at Christmas time and usually a week after Christmas I'd take off and I'd cut the garden down at that point and I'd do lots of work intensely for a week in January. I'd weed all the weeds out when they were all dormant and there wasn't a whole lot. And then I'd just leave it for the rest of the year until summertime again and I'd do a bit of weeding as I say every visit I was home but and very much left to its own devices. We're very much in that radical age at the moment where people are realising that we don't just garden for ourselves and this hyper control of nature and the way we look after certain species kind of isn't our garden features even kind of isn't healthy for our environment. This is all stuff that you've always practiced by default. Yeah, uh, and it's not that it's totally foolproof and not to say that, you know, uh, my folks at home don't go out occasionally and pull the odd weed that gets huge or take away a bramble or two. And if you were to just totally leave it and not touch it at all, very quickly uh, the garden would revert back to scrub because uh, there's lots of birds around, lots of hedgerows, lots of blackberries and brambles and they seed into the garden and they slowly but surely would take it over. So you have to be in there, you have to intervene, but it's kind of the light touch, isn't it? That's the whole point. You don't go in there and keep on top of it and as soon as you see a weed off with its head, you do a light touch or you do a touch once or twice a year where you be radical and for the rest of the time you just kind of go with it and let it go. So I think what we should do now is post pictures of both our plots and post our ideas of what we, how we'll move on the gardens this autumn and next week it's all about autumn colour. The trees are beginning to 
change. Lots of shrubs have great interest in berries and in terms of leaf. And jobs, practical jobs that we should all be at, at in the garden. Great. See you then.